but we don't know about South Africa. Still don't know. Right, check on that. Or <laughs> New Zealand? How about New Zealand? Well, I'm assuming that if Australia had well, it, New I Zealand probably. I don't think New Zealanders are going to like that take. I mean, they're I like, don't know. I just know what I know. They struggle to separate themselves <laughs> from the Aussies. They have fancier accents. Yeah, it's a little more posh, I yeah, guess. Yeah, it sounds a little yeah. fancier. Well, not if it's not necessarily fancier, but it's softer. It's right. like a little bit softer. Yeah. No, no, I don't mean softer and... That's right. <laughs> all the New Zealand people, the Kiwis, all, all, um, they all whisper. <laughs> they have Australian accents, but they whisper. But so quiet. I you can barely hear them. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, don't want to get the callers all worked up. <laughs> Are they shooting Lord of the Rings over there? <laughs> Let's go see a hobbit. Let's go see a hobbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! Okay, so that's now my New Zealand accent. That's it. It's just Australia, but you whisper. Best quiet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, you should see how he's doing it. Everyone, he's like you hunched, have to hunch up. up. Yeah, you have to hunch, hunch your shoulders up. up. He's looking it helps back you. It's hilarious. I wish this is. I wish that this was video. Okay. Yeah, all right. All right. All right. Let's get back to it. and welcome to Gen X Temporaneous. This is a podcast where I come up with an idea, I do some research, I grab a bottle of wine, I bring everything to Mark, and he pontificates. In this episode, we are tackling a subject that has been at least 40 years in the making. Just about anyone who has listened to this podcast over the last three years knows that I am a huge Duran Duran fan. And this year, their second and arguably best known album, Rio, turns 40. Mark and I are going to chat about the making of the album, how it impacted us both personally, and we're going to give you some insight into each of the songs on the album, as well as share thoughts about some of the deeper cuts you may not be as familiar with. Mark is bound to alarm some of you with his impersonation of Simon Le Bon singing Gordon Lightfoot and Sorry Not Sorry, because we're Gen X. We got our sensitivity chips laid in life, and we're still learning how to use them. Mark. by Duran Duran. Uh, Rio is actually the second album I really explored from Duran Duran. I did a little backwards because mm-hmm. I was aware of Seven and the Ragged Tiger first. And I'm like, wow, these guys are pretty good. Mm-hmm. Let's see what their body of work looks like. So uh, it's, an, it's a very good album. It's early enough, I think, in their development as a band that it still has all their you know enthusiasm and raw energy and it's very keyboard heavy and very bass driven, which, you know, that's my thing. Right? All like that. things that you like. So what you're saying is that you became aware of Seven and the Ragged Tiger, which was released in November of 1983. Correct. Look, I was in high school before that, man. I wasn't that cool. <laughs> I know it's hard to believe now, right? Looking at me like, when was he ever not cool? But there was a time. Well, and MTV really did make a huge difference. Oh, huge. In, yeah. And part of the thing with Duran Duran was that they hit in England and Australia before they hit here in yeah. the United States. Let's talk a little bit about the history of Duran Duran. This is a, a good so. way to segue into it. John Taylor, the bass guitarist, and Nick Rhodes, the keyboardist, came together in 1978 to form the band. And they had they went through a number of iterations of singers, and yeah. John was initially on guitar. Did they start off as the Thamesmen? <laughs> no, they should have, though. <laughs> Did they have a sojourn in Germany yeah, in the exactly. club? John was actually born with the first name Nigel. Well, nice, Nigel. <laughs> it is. Nigel, it is. where did you put the Porsche? <laughs> Where's the Porsche? <laughs> so anyway, not, uh, he became John Taylor. Nigel wasn't rock and roll enough for it him. It wasn't rock and roll enough for him, no. And Nick's last name used to be Bates, but he changed no. it to, I mean. Well the, done, sir. <laughs> that's a better choice. 
John uh, was born in 1960. Nick was born in 1962. They then found Roger Taylor, who was a drummer around Birmingham, where they're from, Birmingham, Birmingham, England. Um, Roger was born in 1960. He joined as their drummer. And then they were... Brummy, was he? (laughs) And then they were were without a guitarist and a lead singer. They put an advert in a music magazine for a guitarist. And that is how they found Andy. Now, Andy came to them. The the guys are all pretty self-taught. Yeah. Except I think one could argue that Simon had right. some he had training. Some theatrical he training. Had, he did, and he had. That's amazing. He speaks about his choir master who yeah. w- really worked with him as That's a it. young lad. Yeah. As a young soprano. That title just seems very fraught <laughs> to me. It does. It my does. My choir master. Oh, my choir wow. Well, what does that mean? How about mean? your choir teacher? Or <laughs> I know. You know? <laughs> so um, Andy joined, but Andy had had some very uh, musical chops. He, he had a lot more musicality and some practical experience that the others lacked. You right. know, John makes jokes and says, like, we could do our makeup. Right. But he <laughs> could change guitar strings, right? <laughs> like, yeah. so... John's like I could put in my I could put in my cheekbones with rouge, yeah, exactly. but <laughs> um, my, my hair was blow dried well before his. Right? But. I was better at lip gloss, but he knew how to tune a guitar. So well done, Andy. Um, and then Simon came along, famously wearing pink leopard skin trousers. The uh, recommendation of his girlfriend Fiona Kemp. So they so Fiona Kemp was the barmaid at at a club called the Rum Runner which was owned by Paul and Michael Barrow, who had become Duran Duran's manager. And they are managers. And they Based were... Based on their experience with liquor drinks. Well, no, it was interesting because John and Nick were kind of going around trying to talk to different locations. Like they were at art galleries trying to say they'd like to have a happening. And then they were going to they were gonna play. Are they Anna Delvey? <laughs> <laughs> what are they doing? It's well, like, it's very... That's very Spandau Ballet, though. Like Spandau was like very exclusive and they would try they would do things in places that you you know they would do concerts you're gonna do a pop-up you know kind of it really was that and so john and nick were going around and and trying to find a places where they could have a happening and they just went across the way to um i think they had been in an art gallery and then they went across the way to the rum runner and they met paul and michael barrow they played their tape for them and the the bearers said, "We want to manage you. We think you guys are. <laughs> we think awesome. you're, you're going to go Don't let places. the fact that we are stinking drunk <laughs> no dis- distract from that at all. So they became kind of the resonant band of the Rum Runner. Yeah, which needed they, a band, and they all had jobs, various jobs at the at the Rum Runner. Yeah. And one of the former barmaids, Fiona Kemp. Her ex boyfriend was Simon Lebon, who was at drama school who in would Birmingham. Ever break up with him. It wouldn't have been me. <laughs> but anyway, um, so he she recommended to him and he showed up and they he walked in with his book of lyrics. Yes, famous. And his pu- pink leopard skin pants. Also famous, which is what inspired me to buy my pink leopard skin pants. Excellent. So. And they're so fantastic. Well, Mark. they are. <laughs> they're, you know, you know, they didn't age well. <laughs> well, but, I mean. You know, <laughs> what are you going to do? And so he joined the band. And that at that point, that's what John says, you know, that that's the Star, the star was yeah, the here. Star has arrived. Yep, yes. yep. So I'm sure um, Simon would agree with that. <laughs> Simon definitely would agree with that. Although the Duran Duran, I think, is a very um, democratic band. Uh, all of the songs are give them all credit yeah. for for writing them. So the and, Be- I mean, the Beatles always had John and Paul too, but yeah, but I mean, this had all five yeah, of the Durans, yeah, and you, you know, so I, I think it, I think it was pretty democratic. Okay, so the final lineup gelled in the spring of nine. 19- 1980 but you know what else gelled in 1980 their hair <laughs> yeah right exactly <laughs> well, i guess it was more moose back then was it more moose back then well moose and gel and dippity do hairspray a lot of aquanut yeah. mm-hmm. sometimes glue That's how you get the liberty Could spikes be. might be yeah. all right so supported by these manage this management team who really took the pressure off of them you know they they, they essentially could you know work at the club and then also practice they had yeah. a practice room a rehearsal room off the club and they played what at the club you, you know yeah. what more do you want those managers also helped them get demos recorded and so they spent much of 1980 playing in clubs and venues around england and most famously all all good duranis will know that they supported hazel o'connor good old Hayes. <laughs> i mean i don't really know what hazel o'connor I've never sounds really like heard her work let's let's see let's take a listen and see what hazel o'connor sounds like wouldn't it be ironic if she sounded exactly like simon lebon <laughs> be very funny 
She sounds like Susie. Yeah, she does. She sounds like Sayuxi. <laughs> she really does. That sounds just like Susie. They supported her in concert during 1980. By the end of of 1980 they were signed by emi yeah they're like later and there was a little bit of a bidding war over them actually but they chose to go with emi because of the the beatles and the those guys are pretty famous yeah they did all right and then in june of 1981 they released their first album was this the eponymous album called duran duran yes exactly now this is the album that has girls on film and planet earth those are where'd they get their name oh my god it's so original (laughs) i mean there may be people who listen to this podcast that don't know where they got their name tell where they got their name uh it's the name of the villain in uh, what the fuck is that movie's name i was the fuck you, the movie? I know, the big I know, talker. Know, hold on uh i don't remember barbarella barbarella okay but so this is june of 1981 they released duran duran then and now this is important because i'm going to make an assertion during this All podcast right. in august of 1981 they were back in the studio recording demos for what would become rio they felt that they should be releasing another single and so they recorded that single and it was called my own way now was their first single please please tell me now no their first what single was, was planet earth Yeah. <laughs> right. So they, they go in and they record several songs. One of those is My Own Way, which at the time was super peppy and super disco. This eventually becomes a track on the Rio album in an altered way. So what I'm going to do, the first part is going to be My Own Way in the disco version. This was their single version. Yes. And then I'm going to loop into it the way that it sounds that on the actual. That seems like a very complicated feat of engineering. It's not. Which do you like better? I actually like the disco version better. I still think the slower one is just a little richer, sexier, I think. The one that that ended up being unreal. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one thing about Duran Duran is that if you look, it looks like they have 45 albums. It really does. There's really like 11 versions of each album. It's like, uh, here's Rio, here's Rio with the American version of Hungry Like the Wolf, <laughs> here's Rio for Brazilian audiences, you know, I mean, it's like, the here's Rio uh, after we had a bit to drink, you know, I mean, there's like, <laughs> there's like a lot of variations, but there's really, what, seven, eight albums that we would regard as the core of their well, their work. early albums, which are the ones that are probably the most popular, but of course right. they've gone on to have many, many, many oh, more sure. more albums sure. after that. But in I mean, fact, it looks like they did thirty albums in the first two years. Yeah, no, yeah. they didn't. They just did multiple re-releases and re- yeah. remixes of of, and then all mm-hmm. kinds of you know you have the night versions. So they had remix versions that they put onto an EP, yeah. and um, so yeah, they they were very busy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so now let's talk a little bit about their influences because I think that some people. People hearing that super fast disco-y version, it might be a little bit of a surprise that they kind of were super into disco, but they they were. I mean, if you think about when they were growing up, they had a couple of different like super influences, according to John and Nick. Chic combined with the Sex Pistols. I have yet to hear a real Sex Pistol influence that I can identify, but here's what I will say. They're definitely moving into the post-punk era yeah oh for and, sure and it's not straight disco right it's not it's not 100 donna summer Mm-mm. although some of their stuff is pretty disco-y no but if we listen to let's listen to a little bit of chic and the baseline if in that particular. baseline does not move you 
get to a hospital right away. So they were sitting at a wine bar, John said, when he first heard that particular song. Yeah. And he was, he's like, that's, uh, that's it. That's, that's it. it for me. I love, he loved that vibe. Okay. Yeah. So that's chic. And let's listen to now a little bit of a John Taylor groovy bass line. Now, the first bass player that really caught my ear as a musician who I wanted to consciously emulate was Bernard Edwards from Chic. So there was one of his songs, Everybody Dance, that I was a big fan of. though mark to try and call out really any duran duran song that sounds that really think, you can hear the sex i think pistols. it's really you know just like he liked the idea of the sex pistols right yeah. they're rebellious rock and roll you know sex drugs they were definitely into that so a little bit about me as a musician you know i started playing guitar when i was 16 i was 16 in 1976 which was a fantastic year to be alive. Let me tell you, it was a fantastic time to be 16. It was the year of the punk rock revolution in England. It was a time when everybody, all of my friends wanted to be in a band. Everybody ditched their career plans and got into punk rock. And uh, I was there and Nick was there and Roger was there and Simon was there. We were all doing it in different parts of the country. Maybe they just adopted the lifestyle. Of, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I just, sex I struggle because of course, as a reminder, Maybe a musician would be able to say, oh, no, they totally took the... Uh, whatever. Whatever, the, with, with the whatever, the guitar, blah, 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 blah. But I don't have that ability. However, if you really do want to hear somebody that sounds like like you would go, oh, yeah, that definitely, I get it. I understand what's happening, that this is definitely somebody that influenced Duran Duran. Check this out. Okay, of course, that's... The Beatles. No, that was Roxy Music, you idiot. Are you sure it's not the Beatles? No, it's Roxy Music. I'm just kidding. So there's no way to mistake the fact that Roxy that's has played Duran a big Duran. a big yeah. role in... Duran Duran's development. Their development and their sort of their... I their mean, sound. let's call it what it is. It's derivative. Duran Duran is very derivative of well, that. All music is derivative. It is, and I'm not, I'm not complaining and about cast it. Cast dispersions. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Okay, but the transition between Duran Duran and Rio is not that great. It's not it's like, like that stark. It's just like a week stark. apart. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> so, so to me, Rio is... I know that Duran Duran themselves, John Taylor, is on the record and saying you know like rio is a masterpiece and a lot of people do look at rio as this like masterpiece yeah. duran duran album and what i would say is it's really duran duran part two yeah. <laughs> and it is very much in line with a couple of exceptions and i think those two th those exceptions and those exceptions would be hungry like the wolf and rio right which were their huge hits w right those two i think are moving more towards seven and the ragged tiger i right. think and it's more marketable it's just a bigger song and now it's about chasing people through jungles or whatever is going on in that song. May of 82 comes Rio. Rio is released. They've had already pretty much success with the first album in Europe and in Australia and in England, but they never really cracked the U.S. Right, not yet. Not yet. So Rio comes out in May and still it's they're not doing great in the U.S. They're everywhere else. So they're heading over to tour in Australia, but on their way to Australia, they stop in Sri Lanka and they make they film some videos and yeah. this is critical it now is critical. prior to this they have had some they filmed some videos already they'd filmed video for girls on film famously which was very dirty it was and was playing Filthy. and was playing in some markets uh in in clubs and dance clubs and so certain channels in the u.s were picking up duran duran and playing them but yeah. they were not it, by no means were they mainstream nope. but they had some success they had some videos that were out and then mtv Starts taking off. Duran Duran has these videos and they start sending them videos to play on MTV. 
And the effect that we mentioned in our episode about the accidental 80s and MTV, remember they, how they mentioned that in the markets where they had MTV and they were playing the videos, the record sales were going crazy. That yeah. same effect happened with Duran Duran. So right. where they were playing the videos, those record stores were selling. So they knew that they had an audience there. Well, and that's their perfect storm. They're very good band, good, you know, musicality, et cetera, but they're very good looking guys, which helped, can help bands before MTV. But once MTV hit, that was their golden ticket. That is what made them catch fire. They really did. And so in November of 1982, they re-released Rio. And with the re-release, it starts to take off even more. And they become very, very popular very, very quickly. And 1983 is just a banner year for them. It's because just, there's nothing going on but Duran Duran. There's nothing. And John makes the remark, like, we were the biggest band in the world. And I, so just to give a few little facts about Rio, it peaked at number six on Billboard 200 album chart in the U.S. on the 12th of March of 1983. Uh, it remained on the chart for 129 weeks. It earned a gold disc on March, 1st of March, 1983 and was certified platinum on 26th of April, 1983. So it was selling. Yeah, it was hot. It was hot. And it eventually reached double platinum status. So it produced several worldwide single hits. They included Hungry Like the Wolf, the title track Rio, Save a Prayer. And in 83, they released another single, which was Is There Something I Should Know, which then got tacked on to original Duran yeah. Duran and original Duran Duran was released. So they were releasing, they were releasing. These guys are hustling. Rio, they're re-releasing Duran Duran. And in 83, they release in November, Seven in the Rain. All right, boys. Our strategy is we're going to saturate the market with <laughs> Duran Duran. It was. It really was. And so, and it became this really big mania. It was almost like Beatlemania. And, you know, they're. Of course, you, everything is, you know, everything big in music is compared to the Beatles. Everything evil in the world is compared to Hitler. I mean, it's not obviously a very fair comparison, but there was a certain amount of hysteria. Certainly they had the fangirls squealing and fainting. Thousands. They would, they would go to like signing events at, at record stores and they'd expect to have, you know, you know, a couple hundred people and yeah. thousands, yeah, multiple thousands of people up around <laughs> the block. Yeah. They said it was one of those things where they couldn't go out the front door of hotels. They had to go yeah. out through kitchens and they had, uh, they couldn't go shop. They couldn't just walk out into the streets. John tells about how girls yeah. would be standing around outside of his home. And he, he'd say, I'd wake up and I could hear them already. Like their voices chattering, chattering. Yeah. and As girls do. And so he said, I'd peek out the window and I'd be <laughs> like, Oh nuts. God, here we go. Yeah. And, and, and he said, I knew at a certain point that I'd have to go out there and say something to them. Yeah. And he described it as like they would put forward, like if there was a new girl, someone who hadn't been there, the regulars would go and then they would have this new girl and they would push the new girl forward and right. say, she's new, John, be gentle with her. And she'd, he'd, he'd give her an autograph. And he's like, right. it was like a sacrificial virgin. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> in case something bad happens, let's pick that new girl. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen? It was mania. And in fact, they were on the cover of Rolling Stone and uh, kind of like a subtitle was the the Fab Five. Now, my experience with Duran Duran, I did not get Rio in 82. I got Rio in 83. And that's when MTV was putting them in heavy rotation. And I can remember seeing Hungry Like the Wolf running at the same time as Is There Something I Should Know, which yeah. was that single in between mm -hmm. Rio and in the Ragged Tiger. Pretty boring video, honestly. Well, we're going to talk about that video in Video Thunderdome. Oh. Video Thunderdome is going to be about bands with beef. Yeah. And so it's going to be Duran versus Spandau Ballet. They hated each they other. They hated each other. As I had mentioned, though, many of the songs were written and worked out either while they were touring on their first album or, you know, right afterwards and right before Rio was released. I think that Hungry Like the Wolf and, and uh, Rio were kind of two of the last ones to be put together. So that explains somewhat the similarity in sound. Plus, the other thing that really explains it really well is that it's the same guys. <laughs> from one album to the next. No, like I the know. guys, like they, it's it's the same guys playing those instruments in one album and then the next one and the same singer. So that's going to always give it a certain familiarity. 
I sang. All right. Now you're being a smart ass, but here's <laughs> why I'm saying this. Because yes. if you play Duran Duran and Seven and the Ragged Tiger, they sound quite different to me. Yeah. But Duran Duran and Rio don't sound that much different to me. And and that's... I, 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 think, I, you're, really, I, I think we're going to say that your thesis is correct. I am going to insist that we say that my thesis <laughs> okay. is correct. What's your favorite track off of Rio? Look, Duranis always want to be edgy, right? They always want to say like, oh, you know, I listen to the import or the 12-inch release from Europe, you know, and that's really, you know, before they sold out, that was really my favorite. <laughs> but I think maybe Hungry Like the Wolf might be my favorite song on that Hungry album. Hungry Like the Wolf. Okay, well, hang on. Let's hear what the guys have to say about Hungry Like the Wolf. What do they have to say? You know, the thing about this record that it doesn't sound like anybody else. All the other songs I can kind of, oh, it sounds a little bit like Japan or this sounds like Roxy. This can be anybody else but Duran Duran. It's just, it's just us. It, it's not influenced by anything. A good song. It's a great song. And Roger Taylor was 100% right. That is a very Duran Duran song. First of all, that bass line, pure funk, right? That's awesome. If you're not, if you're not listening to that bass line in that song, you're not doing it correctly. <laughs> it's all about the bass. Well, I mean, for you it is. And he's a great bass guitarist. And I've come to, as I've been doing the research over the last couple of weeks on this episode, I've come to appreciate it even more. Now, one of the things about Hungry Like the Wolf, though, is that it's just pure sex. That might be what attracted me to it in the first place. <laughs> What's wrong with that? That song is, you know, Simon's lyrics are esoteric, but he is so horny, Simon, all the time. Of course he is. My God. That whole band, yeah. I'm sure. I mean, look, if you're 20 years old. Right. They were in their And early you have 20s. the world in the palm of your hand and there are women screaming at you all the time. Of course you're going to be horny all the time. I mean, Simon was 25 years old when Duran Duran was yeah. really hitting it big. Right. And, and he the was guys, the oldest. And he was and the oldest. oldest. He yeah. was the oldest. But, I mean, look, I don't blame him one. If I was 75 and women were screaming like that, I'd probably get a little randy myself. Okay, so. let me, let's hear what Simon has to say about those lyrics. Me. Me. I'm the wolf. It's very naughty. It's, it's sort of, it's, it, it, you, couldn't, you probably couldn't write those words now. And while I don't agree with him, I think you can write those words I mean, now. What you probably couldn't do is make that video now. No, but I do like how Simon decided, okay, in the song... It's going to be a simile. Mm -hmm. I'm a little, it's hungry like the wolf. But in my heart of hearts, it's a metaphor. I am the wolf. I am the wolf. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he actually believes he's a wolf. I don't know. I don't know. If you're new to the podcast, I'm a huge Duran Duran fan and Simon is my favorite. If you've already listened to the podcast, you know that Simon is my favorite. And part of the reason that I really liked him is because for me... The lyrics are very important. And Simon is writing some crazy lyrics, I mean, honestly. It's, it's all imagery, and it's very evocative. And it's not just, hey, 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 I love you. Hey, 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 let's hold hands, whatever. Yeah, or He's like, I'm hungry like the fucking wolf, bro. Well, he, yeah, he really is. And I mean, oh, my God. Yeah, Please, see, there you go. Simon. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> Christina needs a moment. <laughs> I do. I have to have a moment. Okay, so I want to talk now about my favorite Duran Duran song ever. Of all time. This is... So... It comes out of the Rio recording sessions, and it is it was only ever a B side. Right. So I'm one of those. You are. See, I pretty, <laughs> there's no I had no doubt in my mind that you are, as they say, one of those. I am. I, so it is a <laughs> little edge lord. It was. S. It was the uh, B side to that single, My right. Own Way. And you could only listen to it if you knew the password at the record store, and they would let you into the back room yeah, to listen. I got to the it. I got the 12 inch of My Own Way, and then it had on the B side it had a, a shorter version my own way and then this song which is called like an angel See for me, the lyrics of that song, I was I can remember I can 
remember laying there on my bed, my twin bed, and I had my headphones on. Yeah. And Gigantic I had a, mm-hmm, cans like on the these, side of your head. And I had it turned way up, which explains all what? of my hearing loss. And, and I would just listen to it over and over again. There's something very lush about the music yeah, in that. And then his lyrics are essentially th- saying things like, come on, you know you're not so young. You yeah. cannot hide behind disguise. Okay, Simon, no, I'm not so young, Simon. I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to go, I'm, Simon. I'm a very mature 14-year-old. <laughs> I'm very mature for my age, sir. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. By I, the way, here's a little safety tip. If a grown-ass man ever tells a young girl, you seem very mature, mm-hmm. run. <laughs> Take like off. Like head for the hills. Yes. Okay? Yes. That is, he is grooming her right there so I mean, simon simon was basically laughing simon this? was basically grooming the planet well here's right? an interesting anecdote one of the sources that i read for this was in the pleasure groove which is john taylor's autobiography and he tells a story about how when they went on the road being on the road was a real mind fuck for him he didn't really like to travel he didn't like to be in hotels that's not the only thing <laughs> He said that one of the things that they would get from their from being on tour was these slips of paper and that and that would help them situate themselves. So you can imagine, like if like you're touring a lot, where am I? I? Yeah. And so he said that You don't want to go, Hello Cleveland, and you're in Rio. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, right. So they would slip some a note under his door each day and say, You are in Chicago, you have a show today at four, sound check is at whatever time or it, yeah. sound check is at four, you have a you know, this is a show day. Say, what whatever. are they doing a matinee? <laughs> <laughs> and then and then uh, and then We'll it, be done by seven thirty, guys. We can just go out and get some dinner. It'll be nice. So then he said that's what they do now yeah. for their fans. Yeah, right. It's like uh, yeah, the concert starts at two sharp. Don't be late. <laughs> And we're going to catch the buffet at 5.30. So. But he he said that on the slip, and he didn't catch on to this right away, but on the slip, there would always be a number in the upper left-hand corner of the page, and it would be like 17, 18, 22, whatever. And later, he found out that that's the age of consent. Yes. Oh I, I don't think it said 22 in any of those countries. No, you but, know. No. Yeah. But you, well, he, John says it was like walking onto a stage and a wall of sexual energy would just come gross rushing at you <laughs> like <laughs> take a shower bro <laughs> i know that is my all-time favorite duran duran song my yeah. favorite song on rio is hold back the rain yeah it was a great song it is a song that simon wrote for john he's he, like hold back the rain i.e don't let that wall of sex uh crash over me on stage <laughs> please. just hold it back all right let's hear what they have to say and it's about being the five of us and how the fact we need to look after each other. And now it's time to look after you and you've got to come back to us. And that's really what the, what the song is all about. And I wrote the lyric. I remember writing the lyric the day before I went in the studio and laid it down. And I wrote two copies out. One of them I stuck in my bag that I'd carried with me. And the other one I slipped underneath his door. And it worked. Uh, he got he got the message. Was it because he was doing drugs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because John was kind of spiraling in a way that was getting out of control. Yeah. And so Simon said, we need you to be a part of this. We need yeah. you back. And, um, you know, John took it to heart. It's not when John went into recovery, but John kind of pulled it together after that. One thing I do really like about that song mm-hmm. is, you know, I'm all about the bass line, right? Mm-hmm. But that gave the guitar a little bit more of a feature there, you know, with those bank, mm-hmm. banning, you mm-hmm. know, that, that, uh, he got to get in some power chords there, which I'm sure he really appreciated. Yes, he did. Because he was, you know, not always up front and center, right? No, he wasn't. Well, and, and the thing about Andy that was, is interesting is that Andy always brought that kind of harder edge, like his, his influences. He's a rock and roll guy. Yeah, we're not Roxy Music. As a matter of fact, here's one of Andy's influence bands. Let's see if you can tell me who this is. Well, that band is, of course, the Monkees. 
<laughs> Mate, we know who that is. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I right, hope you're going to yeah, do it in an yeah. Australian accent. ACDC. <laughs> nice. Nice one. I, you can definitely hear that more mm-hmm. after he leaves the band, and yeah. Power Station is ACDC guitar. One of the songs that I'm surprised that you didn't call out as your favorite? Well, I only I got know. one. I know, but I thought that you would for sure have said The Chauffeur. I do like The Chauffeur, but... For me, Duran Duran is more about kind of the dance-worthy songs. Uh-huh. I mean, it's a great, it's a very good song. I do love that song, and he, I, I think Simon's vocals in that are amazing because mm-hmm. that's everything you want from Simon, right? Heavy wine, the buzz at the end of the sentence, you know, the little growl mm-hmm. that he does, mm-hmm. just really cool, evocative lyrics that I always misunderstand and miss saying. <laughs> <laughs> it's not your favorite, but it's not my favorite. A lot of people like this, and so well, wanna, as well they should. Let's let's listen to let's listen to the guys a little bit about the chauffeur, and then will play the chauffeur and now, then i will sing the chauffeur what's for you interesting about the chauffeur that i'm gonna be showing here is that the chauffeur is an electronic piece it definitely is and it started out that way but then they went back and they did an acoustic version so what we're gonna hear first is the acoustic version even though that came second and then the electronic version right my personal favorite track on the rio album i guess would have to be the chauffeur it was the last track to be recorded on the album but I should tell you but I mean the, the, what you're also talking about the time when we were in the studio because it, it sort of disappeared and I think Nick said to me come on Charlie he said do you want me do you want to do this song and the two of us just stayed there right through the night and laid it down the chauffeur is the ultimate underground Duran track which is one of the darkest most sort of David Lynchian kind of fucked up mess of a track that you will hear and that's what that's that's the chauffeur it's the dark masterpiece of the album <laughs> Planes, the glides are moving, all looking for a new place to drive. You sit beside me, so newly charming, sweating new drops, refreshing your sight. And the sun drips down, bedding heavy behind the front of your dress, all shadowy light, and the droning engine throbs in time with your beating heart. That song's genius, oh, honestly. It it's very, very good. By the way, when we do finally meet the band, <laughs> I want you to remind me that I 100% am going to call Simon Charlie. Oh, Mark. <laughs> you go, Charlie, I really like that song. <laughs> oh, that bit not... that bit where you do the growling no, at the end. that's not for you to call him Charlie. I'm calling that's... him Charlie. No, well, the too bad. guys in the band call Whatever. him that. That's yeah. not for you. Well, maybe no. I'll be one of the band. No. I can, play, I can no. play the wooden cucumber. No, Mark. No, you are not a part <laughs> of Duran Duran. No. Yep. No, no. Uh, wood blocks? Oh, stop it. Stop <laughs> it. All right. So, Chauffeur is one of those really salty videos. They had two oh, yeah. very salty videos. That's yeah, why. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, do it. <laughs> yeah. And we'll talk more. I think we're going to do a second episode about the video album that they yeah. did. But here again is one of the reasons I think that I really associate Duran Duran and Rio as almost just an extension. One yeah. is the extension of the other because the video album includes songs from both albums. One of my least favorite songs, I guess we could get this out of the way. All right. Is Lonely in Your Nightmare. Not That's a not, decent song. Why I don't know you, you like think it? so, but I just, I'm not a fan of it. What's but anyway, well, it? let's listen I, to it. and let's, hurt you? Let's let, it, <laughs> let's let everybody else listen and decide. chose that section of it because that's the part of the video that I really like. Simon's walking out onto mm-hmm. like a pier and there's this woman that's standing there and feels very French lieutenant's woman. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I really like that. Yeah. But, uh, and he like kind of comes up behind her and nestles it just, in her. It's just too simple for you, I guess? I don't know. It's just not, it's not one of the ones that I love. Yeah. The lyrics are great. 
But I just, it's not one of the songs that I love. You love it, though. I like that song, yeah. Oh, okay. I think, you know the, I think the, the repetition of the let let me, let you in, you know, yeah. let me in type of stuff. I thought that, I thought that was very effective. Yeah. Lyrically. Lyrically. Well, you know, there are a lot of kind of ballads on this album. There are quite a few, which is interesting because that wasn't the case on Duran Duran. So this one, nope. they've got a lot, a lot more ballads on this. And speaking of ballads. Well, they're much older, you know, speaking, they're weeks they're older. They're weeks older than they were. <laughs> they're more mature. Okay. But speaking of ballads, yes. one of the great ballads. Now this song didn't really do very well in the U.S. until they released the live version of it yeah. on arena yeah but this was one of the it is you're kind of doing a disco <laughs> version of it but it's a much <laughs> so, slower song well, when i'm doing mouth just mouthing uh keyboard parts you know i okay. might not have the tempo correct all right now let's hear what they have to say about save a prayer Save a Prayer, amazing. It's an amazing song. You know, this this song has taken us around the world. We could have just written nothing else in our entire career, and this song would have been like a magic carpet ride around the planet. listening to that I always and in and still even it tells me a lot about who Simon is there's a confidence that's inherent in what he's saying there it's just sort of like well you you wanted to dance so I asked I mean, you to dance yeah, that's how it works girl <laughs> this is what you signed up for but I just it just it just seems to me that like like Simon is on to you if you are a woman yeah. Simon is on to you he knows you're giving him that look across the, like, the bar he's gonna come over and don't ask make you to me dance. wink at you he's, He's I'll gonna, do it. He's gonna do it. I'll do it. Oh, Scorpio! I can't with no, him. Oh it, my god! And even though it is not my favorite, it, it's close to it. It's yeah. close to it. If you're doing MTV Unplugged, this is a good song for that, right? But don't. I mean, the real version should be the keyboard one. Well, as a matter of fact, John Taylor agrees with you. Well, as well he should. The song Save a Prayer started in our room off the Rum Runner. Andy and Nick, they, they worked out the chord progression. Perhaps one of the most distinctive lead keyboard lines is Nick's, is Nick's line on, on this. It's like that's where it begins. So Simon, he is notoriously a tough interview is what I've heard. Is he? Um, he can be kind of, I don't know. Like a dick? Yeah, I don't want to say that. I just think he doesn't suffer fools well. Yeah. That's kind and of they the ask impression. Him, well, and you've had 20 interviews that day, and they're yeah. all asking you the same dumbass questions. And they're asking you the same things. And I think that he's just sort of, a, at, at a certain point, he might get temperamental. Yeah. Okay. Like, Charlie, calm down. <laughs> calm down, Charlie. <laughs> and one of the things also that he is kind of closed mouth about, although I... Uh, more now than ever, I, I'm looking online, you know, as I was doing this research and I could find tidbits about, well, this song is about this and this yeah. song is about this. He used to be very closed mouth about yeah, most what poets his, are. his most poets songs are. are about. They just want you to say, look, it's, it is what it says. You take it how you want. Right. So, but there's a song on on Rio that he talks quite openly about, and I and I thought it was a really interesting little tidbit. And the song is "Last Chance on the Stairway." So let's hear what Simon says. "Last Chance on the Stairway" is about. Let's see if he's right. I think Nick had been talking about this French phrase which they use called l'esprit d'escalier the spirit of the staircase when you think back oh i should have said this or i should have should have done that that's cool that's what l'esprit d'escalier is it's the it's what you think of on the staircase when you're walking down from the party on the first floor and you know you can't walk back up the staircase to deliver that sentiment so this is another one there i'm going to play the demo and then i'm going to play the finished product hear the big difference nick 
makes like after they go into the studio there's just much yeah. more layering right on his it's more produced and yeah. yeah it's a good song though yeah it and is. it is that song about you know you had that opportunity at the party and the then spree the scalier <laughs> or whatever <laughs> some for um, some people that is their favorite song on that well, album in fact when we polled wrong. people on twitter there was some i think it was Jin who sent you the picture yeah. of jim palmer yeah, yeah. she said Which i think great last chance in the stairway is her fave well i mean you know, we're willing to cut her some slack because she sent me a gift. So we'll just say, <laughs> we'll say, yeah, Jen, you're right. That's the greatest song of all time. <laughs> all right. So we have the last one that we haven't really talked about yet. Ironically, is, you did not choose Last Chance on the Stairway as the last song. I know I did not. Uh, I'm going to choose Rio as the, the last the juggernaut. song. So this is the one that of all the Duran Duran videos, I think if you'd say to someone, tell me about a Duran Duran video, they're either going to tell you Hungry Like the Wolf. Right. Or they're going to tell you Rio. Okay, in Roger's mind, Rio yeah. is like the ultimate set opener and is is a huge, great hit for them. Now, like, was that a bigger hit than Hungry Like the Wolf? Mm-hmm. Or was Hungry Like the Wolf the biggest hit? Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. John is the one who suggested the name Rio. He was thinking about it in terms of colorful and carnival. So he was sure, thinking about the place. Simon took that idea and turned it into a woman. As he is wont to do. Simon, you horny thing. (laughs) He's like, what if instead of Rio de Janeiro, it was some girl I'm chasing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure, Charlie. That's fine. (laughs) Of course it is, Simon. All right. Here's Roger talking about how they put Rio together musically. But in John bounds in says we need a really good show opener that's going to really explode at the beginning of the uh, the set you know i start playing the beat which is uh, it's quite an unusual beat because the, the bass drum just falls on the beginning of every bar uh john starts playing the bass nick comes in he starts to play with his sequencer i mean it was literally like everybody walked in one at the time and just did their part and he starts doing the offbeat guitar part and uh it just came from that i think that we just wanted to write a really good set opener i think we really created a monster there didn't we yeah they did again like when i listen to these and i've been listening to this album now non-stop as you know well for the aware. last couple of weeks but it's like each time i hear each of the songs i want to say that hold back the rain is my favorite but rio's so good it's a great 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 song and it, it really is now interestingly not only did he change it into a woman but then they changed the geographical location to texas <laughs> well the united states you know he he turned it into a woman but then it's also significant of the usa And breaking in the USA with this album. And there's multiple layers of of meaning baked into into that song. All right. So on the 40th anniversary of Rio, Mm -hmm. I think we need to try to have some kind of perspective as to where Duran Duran is in the Pantheon. I Mm -hmm. mean, are they just Bay City Rollers or... Are they closer to the Stones? You know, like where do they fit? Are they Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or are they just pop stars? They are about to be Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think that the comparison would be, are they more like the Monkees or more like the Beatles? Because yeah. the the talk about Duran Duran always in the 80s was that they were a manufactured band, that they yeah. were just essentially a boy band. But they weren't. They no. they were musicians and they really, they played their, they played and wrote their own music. These are not you know, lightweights when it comes to sort of their their musicality and certainly not. Now, John mentioned that on the Rio album, all of the skills that they have, they are throwing those in there. There's, yeah. They're not leaving, there is they're nothing left. They're half-ass it like they did for Duran Duran. No, but Duran Duran, they only had so many skills. Well, well then yeah. the they got, time they got to Rio, then they put every single yeah. skill. Now, the, as they've, they've matured as musicians, they have more things that, from which they more can tools. pick and choose. Yeah from their sort of musical toolbox. Here's what I'm going to say. Yeah. It's consensus that Duran Duran came about at the right time because they were perfect for MTV. Yes. Right? They were made to be a video heavy band. Right? That, that's mm-hmm. how they got their message out. Now, of course, you know, the music has to be decent or you're not going to, 
you know, keep your audience. But mm-hmm. they were. But I will also argue that MTV was very fortunate that they had a band like Duran Duran who was in not only very good at videos, but invested in videos and showed how that can really catapult a band from, you know, a decent popular band to superstars Mm -hmm. through good videos. Right. And I think then a lot of other, they got a lot of other bands to do that same sort of thing because they're like, Hey, fuck Duran Duran just, you know, made a trillion dollars because they successfully marketed themselves through video, much like we do with me. (laughs) So, (laughs) so I think that they, it was a very symbiotic relationship, obviously Mm -hmm. definitely benefited Duran Duran, but I think it definitely benefited MTV as well. It certainly did. I mean, we, learned that in the accidental 80s MTV episode and it's confirmed in all of the things that I've read about Duran Duran well and experienced they used to be guest VJs I mean they they would do that with others too but Duran Duran really had a strong relationship and some of the VJs would say like when Duran Duran showed up it was fun they did they were really game they they were open to trying new things they were clever they're very clever these these guys are not they're not dummies dummies they're very bright I mean for young men it's really impressive to me to look back on some of the interviews that I watched from back in the day and yeah. and I'm looking at them I'm, I'm like they're 22 do you think, 23 do you think Simon would have made some really good TikToks back then? <laughs> Simon oh my god if those guys if you would have been able to do like lives social media, or social so, media yeah. and they would have been communicating with you now this is interesting though too John says that in the early days when they first started getting fan mail they'd answer it themselves yeah. And he said you would start to recognize people's handwriting. So you knew who some of your original fans were. Right. And he said, and then, you know, time went on. And then social media. I can media. picture every single letter they ever got. I know exactly what it looks like. It has that big, <laughs> loopy girl handwriting <laughs> with hearts over the eyes. <laughs> I know exactly what it looks like. And he said, now, he said, when social media happened and, and Facebook yeah. and stuff, he said, then I started to recognize some of my fans again. Because, of course... That they're not as popular as they used to be, right? Well, no, so I mean, they're, they're they, you know they're yeah, not. They're, they're, they still have. They're yeah, they're in the wane, not the wax, <laughs> right? And and they have been waning for some time well, now. Sure. They, but I mean, yeah. it's up and down. So this most recent album has been. Uh, they're all over uh, the media right now. Yeah. I'm seeing them all over. It could just be my algorithm. So let's let me take you back. Yes. All right. Okay. There's wavy lines. <laughs> okay. So. A young fan, Chris, <laughs> wanted to really cement her connection with the band. Please tell me what this young Spitfire did. Okay, so <laughs> then there's a story behind how it happened. Well, give I us the whole thing. I didn't just walk down the hallway and say, you know, I think I'm going to call Simon's mom. It came out in interviews that his mother lived in Clearwater, Florida. Right. And... One of the things that my friends and I did at 13 and 14, everyone, this wasn't last week. This is I was 13 and 14. So I just didn't know better. I was madly in love with Simon. But we would go through their songs and we would listen to things and we would try and find clues. And so (laughs) so like in one of the songs, um, Friends of Mine, in this one song, Friends of Mine, he references someone called Georgie Davis. Yes. Georgie Davis is coming out. So my friends and I said, well, that must be a real person that exists. That's one of Simon's friends. So then we started calling the operator in England, trying to find out. (laughs) You're like calling long distance, which probably cost you like $11 in quarters. (laughs) It's crazy. But this was at her house. So we would call. We would call the operator. parents appreciated the international calls. We would just call the operator. Yeah. And we would say, is there, you know, can you give us a listing? And then we, but on top of everything else, we do it with British accents. Oh, naturally. Of course course you did. We wanted, wanted, you didn't want to seem sketchy at all. <laughs> no, so we have oh, these. Sorry. Do you have a Georgie Davis? <laughs> 
Yeah. Okay. Can I have his number, please? And then can, we, you, can you ring me through? They couldn't. They're like, "What are you saying?" You know, they couldn't understand us. Yeah, but anyway, because you're like, you're doing that weird Cockney accent yeah, that Americans always think is British. Like, I'd like to talk to Georgie <laughs> Davis, please. <laughs> you so, sound like you sound like Dick Van Dyke in uh, so Mary, Poppins. Mary Poppins. It was, and so then, um, so we did. So that was our thing. And then I found out that she lived in Clearwater, and I thought to myself, "Well, wouldn't that be something if she was in the?" phone book yeah mrs Lebon. she was and yeah, Lebon. crazy she was listed and so i said to my friend she's listed but first of all where did you find a clearwater florida phone book did you go to the library no, we called the operator oh okay you, you're again with the operator yeah okay. and i said to her she's enlisted and she's like we've got a call and i said you're right i'm calling and so <laughs> first of all i'm pretty shocked you volunteered to do that oh no i was a very different person then apparently I mean. well so you were shorter i was <laughs> so we i i got i don't know i had coins i marched down to the payphone in the hallway yeah. next to the lunchroom next to the cafeteria and Beth was with me and we called her. We, yeah. I called her on the phone and Beth was standing next to me and she was lovely. <laughs> <laughs> That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. And she was very sweet to me and I am so apologetic. She's 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 passed away oh, now. Yeah, yeah. But I, I'm so apologetic for invading her space like that and what I, awful. I bet she wasn't awful. listed much longer after that. No, I'm pretty sure she probably quit it she's after like, that. Like, oh I, You boy. know what? I'm shocked that you're the first person to do that. I don't though. know. That's amazing. I don't know. Maybe I wasn't. Maybe others Maybe, did. She's and like, she, oh, another one. <laughs> well, I mean, it took Char- Maybe. there's took, another one it took moments and i just yeah. and i can't really remember what i said to her but i know i was you know i said i just really love simon so much he's so great you know thank you for having him yeah. good, <laughs> good job giving birth mrs Lebon. <laughs> i mean something totally idiotic yeah but i was you know 14, can i call you mrs Lebon? thank you 14 years can i call old. you ann no 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 i called her mrs Lebon, and yeah. and she mrs. was the bond it was for i was like 14 you yeah. know i didn't know i didn't know really better right. although at 14 i thought i was i thought probably i was pretty I mean, grown up i really yeah. felt that if that connection ready. had yeah. kind of had taken off he between me and, and mrs Lebon. oh yeah. oh no doubt i'm yeah. telling you yeah. oh and i we just had this conversation the other day too yeah the parasocial relationship with him was so powerful that you believed it. I believed there was absolutely no doubt in my mind. And I bet you that there are a lot of former Durannies who would yeah. say, if you really go back and you dig deep into what you used to think, there was no doubt in your mind that you would be with them. Yeah. At, at some point in time and i really did and just the other night we were listening to some music remember you were driving me home and i said yeah. to you oh i just had that flash to that feeling right not that i thought that i could be with him today but i mean <laughs> why, why wouldn't he yeah. i mean maybe i mean you know. <laughs> call me simon um <laughs> so but, at, me. <laughs> at, me. <laughs> at me on twitter my guy but i could remember that i could remember that strong yeah. parasocial relation feeling but yeah. anyway I'll but cut, you were 14 but i was 14 you now recognize that that's delusional yeah well it was it was a lot. But anyway, so yeah. Now, today, I would be hard-pressed to walk up to him and say hello if I saw him somewhere. Yeah, I, you would I definitely don't, do it. Uh, no, I don't. No, I don't think I would. Well, I would make you. No, I would I would let you, but I would yeah. stand back. I'd probably like stand back and be hide like, behind things. Be, he, well, he, you'd be like that. Mr. Lebon does not want to talk to me. <laughs> uh, I think we should just both mention that we are both huge fans of Duran Duran. I know, you know Christine is, but also I am too. Obviously not as hardcore as she was, probably due to possible differences in age and uh, sex. But we are huge fans of the band uh it's awesome that you know we're celebrating this 40th anniversary of this album which is one of the great album of the 80s i guess that's it wrap it up all right so i want to talk about our sources i mentioned that i did the john taylor autobiography right but i also looked at a book called it's a 33 and a third it's a series that's the name of the book is 33 and a third 33 and a third i think is the series and then they do right yes that's how the speed that that plays Yeah, yeah. yeah But this one is about Rio and it's by an author called Annie Zaleski. And that was incredibly helpful for me in terms of timeline and and some of the insight into what was going on when they were writing and composing this album. Right. So that was tremendously helpful. And then I've got a slew of other research that I did and I will include all of the links and everything in our episode notes. Excellent. 
So I really enjoyed this episode. I know you did. <laughs> I am hoping that it sounds okay. We'll see. Let's talk a little bit about our Patreon. We do have a Patreon, don't we? Yes, we do. We have a new Patreon. It is up and running. It is patreon.com forward slash Gen X Temporaneous. So the link will be in the episode notes. It is $5 a month. And we will give you extra content. It's not just please support us for $5 a month and and just get this podcast. We're giving you actually at least three extra episodes a month. Those episodes are going to include things like Video Thunderdome. And as I mentioned in this episode earlier, we are going to be pitting Duran Duran against... Spandau Ballet. We're going to do As they bands, have been for 40 years. Bands with beef. <laughs> and there, I have some other ideas for some fun things we might do on the Patreon. Yeah. So, so and to then be announced. To be announced. And so uh, and we also have social media. Come and follow us on Twitter. I'm at Serious Produce. Mark is at Mark Eats Peach. We have an Instagram at Gen X Temporaneous and a Facebook group at Gen X Temporaneous. So please come and find us there and interact. We really love hearing from you. And we really appreciate you coming and listening to us each week. Mark. Bye. Peace out, Cub Scouts. Wow. This is really embarrassing, actually. Uh, Oh, good. Then we should definitely reveal it. Simon has admitted that his influence for it was the Gordon Lightfoot song, If I Could Read Your Mind. If I could read your mind, love. (laughs) What a tale my thoughts could tell. (laughs) That's you doing Simon. Just like an old time movie. About a coast from a wishing well. That's you doing Simon doing Gordon Lightfoot. What are you talking about? That was Gordon Lightfoot. He was here in the studio with us. Wow. Now, should I just call you Chris for this entire episode? Mark, don't. But that's what you were called back then. No. Yes, but don't. Okay. No, I don't like that name. It might really enhance your nostalgia. No, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) It will not. Okay. (laughs)